Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. As we continue our series on prayer, I would like to uh, tell you a story that this is, this is a very fond memory of mine from when I was a youth minister. I always tried whenever I'd hire a, hire a summer youth intern, I'd always try to really kick off the, their week, kick off their summer. Because, you know, when you're an intern, you're just, you have no idea who anybody is. You don't have any idea the traditions or the kind of the patterns of the youth group. And so you're kind of lost. But if you can just start to get to know the people, that'd be great. So it was my job, in my opinion, to have quite a few events, one after the other in that first week, so that they could just get to meet people, get to know the kids. And one of the events that I tried to do, uh, I think I'm not great at being all that creative. And so I was pretty proud of myself for coming up with a creative idea. My idea was um, we were going to take the youth group rollerblading. How many of you rollerbladed when you were in high school? Like, that's a thing, right? That was a thing for you when you were in high school, maybe? Um, I, uh, uh, Shantae said I rollerbladed, so. Um, but for me, what I, what I remember is I had lots of fun memories. of We went to these, these roller skating rinks that were huge, like big, long ovals. And you would just, you know, most of us were kind of wobbling along. But there would be people just flying by. And, and it was a blast. And every once in a while, you'd have a, they'd make you race. You know, you might do a race or you might do the hokey pokey. Does anybody remember doing that at a roller rink? Or the limbo, they make you roller skate under a, a PVC pipe. But... Anyway, so I, I put in all this effort. I told the kids, hey, we're going to, you know, I think we did some kind of theme night, like a dress like the 80s or something like that. Um, and we, uh, you know, we got dressed up. I know I, I said that joke on purpose. I hope you caught it. Um, you know, like a long time ago. And uh, uh, so we got, we had everybody get dressed up. I invited lots of people. I called the place. I said, I'm going to be bringing a group. They were like, great. That sounds awesome. We show up. And this roller skating rink is like for five-year-olds. The roller skating rink is maybe from like that brick wall to like here. And you've got this little party of toddlers out there with like little things to help them roller skate. And there's this big plastic playground there. And I just remember it being like, you know, oh man, I just ruined, I ruined this whole idea. I've got all these juniors and seniors in high school that are dressed up and there's like four-year-olds out here. Like, oh, great job, Drew, you really, this, this looks so fun and exciting. Now, I will say, uh, I texted Katie Norwood, who was our intern that, that year, this morning and told her I was telling this story. And she said, uh, I think you're remembering that wrong because that was my favorite night of rollerblading of my entire life. Because what ended up happening is about, you know, we got there probably at 6.30 or 7 and maybe 15 minutes later, all those little kids left. And for some reason, we were the only group there. So we got to play all the music we wanted. We got to do all. It was like just us. And it ended up being amazing. And I'm telling you this story because I planned this event with all these expectations. This is how it's going to be. It's going to be this big roller skating rink. It's going to be lots of people. We're going to do all the things that I remember. And when I got there, it was not at all what I expected. However, we were still able to have a great time. So I'm telling you this today because when I was picking this text, this passage for my sermon this morning, I had all sorts of plans of what I was going to preach about. I had all sorts of plans of, oh, this is what this is about. This is going to be the great message that we're going to talk about today. And the more I looked at it and the more I studied it, the more I realized that is not what this text and this passage is about. And what I 
came to learn that it was about, I was starting to think, oh, that's going to be a bummer because that's not as much of a great message. Man, I'm going to go home fired up by that message. The message I thought was there was going to get y'all all fired up and excited and bring peace. But the message that I found was one that I didn't think would bring much peace. However, the more I read about it, the more I thought about it, you know, marinated on it, the more I thought, you know what, this is a good message. I'm really thankful for this message. And I hope that y'all end up enjoying uh, what, we, what we come out on the other side actually talking about. And I think you're going to see that as we read this passage, many of you are going to start rubbing your hands together, start getting excited. Finally, I love this passage. We're going to talk about it. And what you're maybe going to find is I'm going to say something that might be unlike any of the things you normally heard this passage is about. And that's okay, though. I hope that uh, it's something where you're still able to go, I needed to hear that, even though it's not what I hoped that passage was saying, even though I, it's not what I hoped it was about. So to use my analogy that I'll probably be using through this whole series, this whole series on prayer is with this goal in mind, that every one of us should be living lives and our church should be living lives just completely saturated with prayer. And that to do that, let's work on what we think prayer is, how we pray. Let's constantly be reassessing. Are we praying in a way that is the, the healthiest? And so to use my cake analogy, every one of these sermons, I'm going to be throwing ingredients into our prayer pie, okay? Our prayer cake. And this might be a sermon where I actually take an ingredient out that you've had in your cake for a really long time, or to use the tool belt analogy. I'm going to be adding things to your prayer tool belt, and maybe we're going to take a tool out. And maybe we don't take it out. Maybe what we do is we say, hey, you can leave that tool in your tool belt, but don't use Luke 18 as a justification for that tool. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's turn in your Bibles, if you would. We're going to read this famous passage from Luke 18. Um, we're gonna, if you would follow along on the screen, or you can turn in your Bibles. It's just going to be verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, this is really awesome for us. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with like a Bible term that we, we don't use anywhere else except for the Bible, a parable is a very simple story about something that everyone listening could have related to. Uh, everyone listening to this story would be able to hear it, and it would make total sense as far as like, oh yeah, that's something I've experienced in my life. Once there was a farmer who, who sowed seeds. Some went on the ground, some, oh, I know about sowing seeds. Now a lot of the parables we read don't always connect with us because we didn't live in the first century. So what was simple and obvious to them isn't as simple and obvious to us. But Luke does a really sol a great solid thing for us by explaining right off the bat this story that he showed was to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So right off the bat, we don't have to spend a lot of time wondering what is this story about. So let's keep reading. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused but finally, he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. She's getting so annoying, I'm afraid she's going to come and, and hit me in the head or something like that. Come get me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? 
I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Okay, so let's point out some of the things that would have been common about this story. Back in that day, like in today, if some kind of thing happened to you that was an injustice or something like that, like if, let's say, someone murdered a family member of yours, it would be up to who to take that person to jail. We would call the authorities or call the cops. The cops would come and arrest that person and take them to jail, right? Not in this day and age. Back then, if someone did something to you, it was up to you to go to a judge and plead with that judge to take your side, to say, please, this man killed my family member. This person stole all of my cattle, stole my livestock. Please, I need, I need you to do something about it. And so this is a very common thing for a widow to have had something that happened to her and for her to go to the judge and for the judge not to really pay attention to her. You know why? Because if you're living in a time where most of the people that are in authority got there probably through crooked means, like this judge here, this judge clearly is not a good person. The, Jesus goes out of his way to say, this judge, he didn't care about God, he didn't care about what people thought. So he's probably sitting here going, why am I going to help this lady? Because she brings me nothing. She offers me nothing. Now, if she was the, she, he was, she was the person that was the head of the, all the carpenters in town, yeah, probably going to help them because I can get something out of it. Probably can use that for my own advantage. But this lady offers me nothing. She is what Jesus, what the Bible often considers the forgotten for. The poor, the immigrant, the widow, the orphan. Just, they don't bring you anything. And yet Jesus is constantly saying, those are the people you need to be looking out for. So you've got this widow, and you've got this unjust judge. And the thing that you need to see that is really, really important in this story is that Jesus is not saying God is like this judge. That is perfectly clear, okay? What Jesus is saying is, if this rotten judge is willing to do this for this lady, how much more will your good, loving, and gracious father, who loves to do good for his children, how much more will he want to do good for you? Does that make sense? It's like the thing we read last week in the Sermon on the Mount. If a child goes to their parent and asks for bread, will that parent, even though they're not perfect, will that parent give them a rock? No. Or, as Jesus says, if your son asks you for a fish, even though that parent, even though that person is, as Jesus says, is evil, will he give him a snake? No. And if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your awesome father give good gifts to your children? Okay, does that make sense? I've heard one person describe it as this. This is not a parable of comparison. This is a parable of contrast. If this guy who is a bad judge, is willing to get worn down by this lady, how much more will your father, who is not getting worn down by his people he loves, how much more will he long to bring justice? Okay? And then we have this line that I'm going to point out because it's going to come back and be important. This line that as I read it for the first time, I thought, when Jesus says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I was like, what is that about? That just seems kind of to be a weird tag at the end of it, right? This is when I started to chew on what is this passage really about? Okay, so let me, let me break it down like this. This is how I see it in my mind. Here is what I, when I picked this passage, here is what I was hoping the passage would be about. And here is what many of you were probably raised being told this is what the passage is about. Whether someone told it to you or you just felt it in your gut. This is what we think. 
We want Luke 18, 1 through 8 to be, when we pray persistently for blank, God will give us blank. Okay, how many of you can like nod your head, this is how I was raised. This is what I was told. This is about. I am going to tell you that I think there is a chance that as we go through this whole series that we're going to read some passages about persistently asking for God, God for something and Him giving you that thing. Maybe that's going to be something in our tool belt. What I'm telling you is that is not something that Luke 18 is telling you to put in your tool belt. We often think, if I have a problem, just get on my knees and bring it to God a million times, and He's finally going to wear down, and He's finally going to say, sure, okay, I'll answer it. But that's not really what this story is about. So, you're probably thinking, Drew, what is it about? I believe that the real point of Luke 18 is really about this. When we pray persistently for God's just kingdom or for God's justice, God's just kingdom and God's justice, His righteousness, will come. Where did you get that from, Drew? Well, let me give you the most obvious clue. Does anybody remember when you were reading? What does it say that the, the widow was praying to God about? Or to the, what the widow was going to pester the judge about? Justice. The widow is not coming to pester God about her hip, okay? The widow is not coming to pester God about her financial situation. The widow is coming for justice. And this justice word is so, Paul uses it all the time, is so integral to this idea of when you're in court, you're, the judge is either going to side with one person or he's going to side with the other person. Your side of the story, the other side. And what the, the widow is saying, please look on me and bring me vindication avenge this wrong that has happened in my life. Please do this for me. And, I, and I'm going to come back to this idea of something that gives us a clue about that this is also what's going on here. If you turn the chapter before in Luke 17, if, you look, if you're in your Bibles or if you're following along, go back to Luke 17 at verse 20. And this is what gets kind of leads into Luke Jesus bringing up this story. In Luke 17, 20, it says, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So this whole passage is with the mindset of people going, We're living here and when is God's kingdom going to come? And then this story comes up. So let me try and give you more background to try and make my point. The more I read scripture, the more I am continually becoming aware of a theme that is not a theme of my life. And so it's hard for me to grasp. Throughout scripture, we see Daniel. We did a series on Daniel recently. We're going through Revelation right now in Bible class. And this theme is all over the pages. It is the idea of when God's people are living under the oppression of evil governments and empires, people that do not hold on to God's word and God's truth, people that are taking advantage of the poor, the widow, widow the orphan, the powerless, people that are taking advantage of those people, those evil empires, evil governments, that God's people cry out to him, God, when are you going to bring justice? And what is told in Daniel 7, what is told in Revelation is, is that someday those beasts that look like they're going to win in the end, the Son of Man is going to come and he will conquer over them and he will be seated with the Ancient of Days and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Okay? The reason why this theme is throughout Scripture is because throughout Scripture, 
The people of God are living in oppressed situations. Just turn to almost any page of the Bible, and they're being oppressed by somebody, okay? Now, why on earth would this be something that I'm not excited about being the takeaway from this point? Probably because if you're anything like me, you have not spent a single day of your life ever feeling oppressed. Some of you might. I don't know. I can't speak for everyone. But I, Drew Ritchie, have never spent one day of my life ever feeling like I was living oppressed or injustice against me. But there are people in our world, all over the world, that are currently, have been, and will feel like they are not having justice, that they are being oppressed. People wrongfully thrown in jail, people living in human trafficking, people who, you know, some of the systems that we have where a poor person has to make enough money to be able to afford a car, but they're never going to be able to go to work if they don't have a car to get to work. And then they're just in this cycle of, well, why don't you pull yourself up your, by your bootstraps? Well, I'm trying here. But all these systems seem to be against me to be able to do everything I can just to pay for the light bill, just to do that. And there are people all over our world who experience this. And so the thing that, the thing that I came to Luke 18 hoping would be the takeaway was, guess what, everybody? Whenever you pray to God earnestly with persistently coming to Him, He's going to answer your prayers. That's not what it's about. What it seems to be about is when you come to God earnestly, persistently saying, God, I want your justice to be done here on earth, God will answer that prayer. However, it's going to constantly feel like it's taking Him forever. And that is the point of persistence. I heard a preacher say that, and I loved it. He said, he said why would God, Jesus say, pray persistently if it meant you were going to get it quickly? Does that make sense? He would just say, pray, and then it would happen. And in our culture that we live in, especially people my age and younger, we think everything ought to be immediate. Well, I really want to have this awesome house someday, so can't I buy it now when I'm 27? You know? Like, why can't I have that now? And all the people that are not my age go, well, because you've got to work for it for a really long time. The idea of persistent prayer that Jesus is saying is, when you are waiting for the kingdom of God, the Pharisees are asking, when is the kingdom of God going to come so that this unjust Roman Empire that's over us is going to get out of here? Jesus is saying, well, you know what? Keep praying persistently for God's kingdom and His justice to come. And there will be a day when the Son of Man will come. And the Son of Man is going to defeat them. And here's where that line at the bottom of Luke 18 verse 8 makes sense. But when the Son of Man comes to set up His righteous kingdom, will He find faith here on earth? That line that didn't make a lot of sense earlier now makes sense to me. Because He's saying, oh, the kingdom's going to come. And justice is going to come. But will He find faith? Because as we know from reading the story, Jesus is already there in their midst. He's bringing His justice there. And someday, for all of us who are living today, He's going to bring it to complete fruition in the future. Now, I have a part that is something that I think, even as a person, actually, before I move on, I want to say this. I want to make it perfectly clear. So while we're thinking about adding stuff to our tool belt, how many times a day do you pray for the injustices that happen across the world? If you're me, it's zero. I'm not thinking about it. This is something we need to add to our tool belt, that persistent prayer is about praying for God's justice to be done around the world. 
I'm just going to say that, in our community and around the world. And like I said last week, if I'm a person who's constantly praying for something, it's going to be doing something to my heart. If I'm constantly praying that God blesses Cody Creel at the Baptist Church across the street, that his ministry thrives, that tons of people come to know Christ because of him, I'm probably not going to hate him, right? I'm probably going to start to love him more and more and more. If I pray that God reaches people who live in the Middle East and that God is able to do mighty things through people in Iraq and Iran, I'm probably less likely to be racist towards Middle Eastern people. You following me? So if I'm someone who's constantly praying for God's justice to be done on earth, I'm probably going to become a lot better person at noticing injustices in and around my life and wanting to be a part of it. Okay, now I'm going to move on. This is something that I do think can relate to me even if I haven't experienced a whole lot of injustice. I believe this is something Luke 18 is also saying. I'm going to word it two different ways. I think either way, some of you might like it this way, some of you might like it the other way. What Luke 18, 1 through 8, is also about is that the faithful pray persistently because they trust that God's kingdom will come. The faithful, the faithful ones of God, we pray persistently. Part of the way we, sh we pray persistently because we trust that God's kingdom will come. Now, let me word it differently. Those who trust that God's kingdom will come pray persistently. All right? It's the same thing. I just worded it different directions because I believe it's reciprocal. I believe part of what we see is Jesus is saying, if you really believe that God is going to work and you really trust in him, you will keep praying because you believe he will work and he will act. If you don't believe that Jesus is ever going to come and you don't believe he's ever going to act, you're probably going to stop praying because you don't think it's doing anything. Does that make sense? So let me tell you a story because I've got to bring a movie into it. Of course, you know me. There's a great movie that I love, a personal favorite. It's called The Count of Monte Cristo. It's different from the book, but it's still great. If you've seen the movie, there's this scene where early on, this really upright good man, uh, is his friends are all jealous of his success. And so three of his friends conspire to throw him into jail. They, they accuse him of treason. And so he goes to jail, and he has no idea what his crime is. And guess what? His crime is, is that one of his friends was jealous of his attractive fiance, so he wanted her, so he wanted him to go to jail. The other guy was jealous of his business success, so he sent him to jail. This other person saw a way that it was going to impact him. All of them conspired to send him to jail for life. And throughout it, he's going, on his way there, he's like, what did I do? And guess what? The answer is nothing. He was unjustly treated. You see the justice factor of this? Okay. So the warden takes him into jail, and he says, I, I'm telling you, I didn't do anything wrong. And the warden says, oh, I know. He says, are you mocking me? He said, no, no. This is where they send the people that they know did nothing wrong. And he takes him to his jail cell, and he says, every year for your anniversary, I, like, I have a tradition. They tie him up, and they lift him up, and the guy is about to start whipping him in the back as a part of his anniversary to being in the jail. Now, just so you know, the guy who plays the main character is the guy who plays Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. So you're watching the whole time like, this is very similar. But he lifts him up, and this is what the warden says. The warden says to him, And if you're thinking to yourself, why me, O oh God? The answer is, God has nothing to do with it. In fact, God is never in France this time of year. He makes a joke. And the character responds and says, God has everything to do with it. God is everywhere. He sees everything. And then he sa says to him, he says, how about this? I'm going to keep beating you. You keep praying. And when God shows up, I'll stop beating you. Okay? So this warden clearly is trying to say, go ahead and give up on God. And in the jail cell is written by some former inmate, 
God will give me justice. Okay? And so we see these scenes year after year. You, they, they show the passage of time by how often he keeps getting beaten. Like, oh man, he's been in here for a while. He's been in here for five years. And constantly after he gets beaten, he picks up a rock and he etches into the stone and goes over and over again into the God will give me justice. But there's an integral scene after about five years where he gets beaten, he picks up the rock, and he drops it. And it's a way of the movie saying to you, he has stopped believing that God will ever give him justice. So do you see how this connects? While he's praying persistently, God give me justice, he still believes God can actually do it. But the second he stops believing God can actually give him justice, what happens? He stops persistently praying. The second he stops persistently praying, the second he stops believing that God can actually do anything. Now there's a pretty cool part to the story that happens soon where he is able, he encounters a priest in the jail. This priest is actually trying to, you know, dig his way out of the jail and they meet each other. And something happens where the priest says to him, and, and he's, the priest is dying in this scene, and he tells him about this treasure that he, that he says, Edmund, if you ever get out of jail, go find this treasure, but use it for good. And Edmund says, no, I will surely use this for my revenge. I am going to use this treasure because I have so much hate in my heart, I'm going to get revenge. And the priest says to him, he says, here is your final lesson. He's become a mentor. Do not commit the crimes for which you now wrongfully pay the sentence. God said, vengeance is mine. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Vengeance is mine. That's a really intense way of God saying, trust that I will bring justice to the injustice in the world. It's not up to you. And what happens in the story is Edmund does do a, get a whole lot of revenge. But he comes to a conclusion at the end of the story where he says to God, God, I now realize my fault. And I now realize that uh, getting revenge never brought me any happiness. Getting revenge never brought me hope. But the thing that I wanted to say is that I wanted to make the analogy that he was able to come back to God. He was able to see throughout different ways uh, that God was involved in his story. God was able to do things. And the sad thing for us, in my opinion, is that there are many of us that when we hear this story of Luke 18, we think, if Luke 18 is about God persistently answering those who persistently pray, how come I've prayed persistently so many times and it hasn't been answered? And I don't know the answer. I don't know what to tell you. But I will tell you that Luke 18 is less about God answering all of our petitions. And it's more about God saying, you don't have to worry about getting justice. I will get justice. Leave that up to me. I will be the one that brings my kingdom. But the question is, will you keep getting on your knees? Will you keep praying? Or are you going to lose faith that that's ever going to happen and you're going to stop praying? You following me? So here are the three things for your tool belt. Okay? First, Luke 18 is not the place where we hear, where we say, I'm going to wear God down with this prayer and he's finally going to hear me. Take that out of your tool belt. Got it? Second thing is, Jesus' followers, their whole existence is to be like that of the widow in relation to the unjust judge. If the unjust judge is going to listen to the widow, how are we going to be people who are praying and crying out to God against injustices by our efforts? and by our protests against injustice. How are we going to be people who are constantly seeing things in our world and going, that's not right. God, please bring justice into this situation. And hopefully we join in and become a part of that. And the third thing for your tool belt, or I guess second thing to add, Jesus is teaching us here the necessity of tenacious, hopeful faith in the midst of our present ordeals. 
When we are persistently praying, we have kept the faith. When we stop praying, it means we have lost heart. So don't lose heart. Keep the faith. Keep praying persistently because we know and we trust that God is alive and we know that he's in control, as Joe said. So if any of you would like to know more about what it means to live a life for Jesus, what it means to, to be told by our God, I don't know the exact timing of when all these prayers I want to be answered are going to be answered, but I do trust that they will get answered by God, by the Son of Man, and will I be able to stick it out and hold on until he comes. If any of you have any prayer requests, elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and while we sing this song.